I really think we're missing the boat by not having a cable channel. <laughs> we'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah. The unscripted portions of the pregame here are... are I, I wish we could share them with you. We, we have, just we have songs, can. we have impersonations, Some tap dancing, uh, <laughs> jokes. Yeah. Oh, what a twisted tale they weave! It really is. Thumbs it's, up as we look at the TV. Yeah, <laughs> got it all. Really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a vaudeville show. <laughs> Thank goodness that we have uh, we're out of the silent picture era because uh, <laughs> we've got some audio to share with you. It's called the midday program. Here on the Rural Radio Network, here, let's get to it now with Joe Gankwish. Vaudeville is a little more orchestrated, I think, than Probably us. Probably so. so we're yeah. flying by the seat of But it had no here. more singing and dancing. <laughs> well, that's true. Than the that's pregame true. here. That's right. <laughs> well, in Ag News, coming up at 1213, there's a group of 55 deans from ag colleges around the country. They sent a letter to the U.S. government today in support of the North American Free Trade Agreement as negotiations on a new agreement start this week. Dewey Nelson's up at 1219 with Jason Ladman, a director at Water Street Solutions. Their topic is hearing what the farm's numbers are telling you. So tune in for that at 1219. Shaley Peters is in Grand Island today. She's at the Hendricks Genetics uh, Poultry Facility. Uh, they have an open house going on there today. So she'll have an update for us in our Newsmaker segment at 1245. Susan Littlefield back with us at 117 with Heidi Bringenberg with the U.S. Grains Council Mexico Assistant uh, our Mexico City Assistant Director. Uh, they will talk about the importance of having that Mexico office for the U.S. 117. All right. A lot of trade with Mexico, so that'll be an, an interesting That's right. And after a hot topic this week. Yeah, absolutely. Over to Jason Jorgensen we go on sports. Sounds like Division Two volleyball is going to be very tough in our region again. Of course, that's kind of how it's been the last uh, several years. Preseason poll came out yesterday. No surprise. A defending national champion, Concordia St. Paul. They will start the year ranked number one. UNK brings back most of last year's team. They will start the season ranked third. Wayne State is also ranked in the top 15. Although uh, they're predicted to f- right now to start the year 15th in the country, but like 6th or 7th in their own league. Really? That that tells you oh, how tough how tough things are. Also, we'll talk some Husker football this preseason, depending upon who you talk to. A wide variance in predictions on where the Huskers will land. Uh, some folks think the Huskers maybe only win six games. Nebraska's taking offense to that as they uh, work through the preseason workouts. We'll give you more on that. Kind of a cool deal during the Royals game last night. Rookie Cam Gallagher is only playing because Salvador Perez is hurt. His first career grand slam last night came in the sixth inning, which, of course, with Royals games is a sonic slam inning. And uh, one lucky contestant from Shawnee Mission last night won $25,000. Oh, my <laughs> That's awesome. So Boy, if you're going cool. to hit a home run, if you're the Royals, All right. do it in the sixth inning. Nice. <laughs> See? A little business activity. Head with the bases loaded. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stocks are a little bit lower in midday trade. Midday trading, easy for me to say, following some disappointing results from retailers. U.S. retail sales jump in July, and uh, Mazda is recalling nearly 80,000 vehicles to replace faulty airbags, and that has to do with the problem with the Takata airbag inflators. So again? those are, yes, uh, once right. again. So we'll watch that situation. Thank you very much. All coming up for you today on Midday.
For Colvin Repair, our ag weather, ag has a little bit of reason to be concerned about some development this early in the day. Thunderstorm is going to be likely for late today and tonight. It's all thanks to a cold front that's slowly tracking to the southeast. It's going to take its time. Some instability build across the area. Severe storms possible today, mainly late in the day into the evening, especially over central, southwest, and parts of east Nebraska, also northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. That's where the Storm Prediction Center does place a slight risk for severe storms. Later tonight, rain is more possible than severe weather. With some slow-moving storms, there could be some heavy rain. A flash flood watch already in effect for Custer County through tomorrow morning. Thunderstorms will remain possible tomorrow. That front continuing to make its progress through the region. It should be to eastern Nebraska and central Kansas by tomorrow evening. Late in the week and weekend, we'll see a ridge of high pressure start to move closer with some warmer and drier air, and that'll lead to a westerly flow and just some passing small thunderstorm chances. Now, Monday, the timing of the eclipse during the early afternoon should lend itself to a good shot of mainly cloud-free skies and limited shower activity. There's currently a small chance of thunderstorms that day, but that will probably be later in the day when we see some afternoon heating. In our long term, the temperature forecast predicts it will be warmer than normal for Nebraska and Kansas, Sunday through August 28th for precipitation, mostly near normal rainfall, expected for Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the 28th. Your weather factors of the market today include some much-needed rains in the Corn Belt, continued rains building soil moisture for the winter wheat belt, and no significant rains for the Canadian prairies. An active weather pattern will continue across the central and eastern U.S. with multiple disturbances helping to develop rain and thunderstorms. Five-day rain totals could reach around 1 to 3 inches with locally higher amounts from the plains eastward. Much of the Midwest will only see or will see timely and beneficial rain for filling corn and soybeans. There's still a chance those dry areas in Iowa may miss out on the rain. It will be mostly favorable in the northern plains for the harvest of drought-reduced spring wheat. Drier weather the next 10 days will increase the crop stress to late filling corn and soybeans as heat stress, though, does remain low. Rain chances for the Southern Plains will be favorable to provide moisture for winter wheat planting next month. The moisture will be needed. A hotter and drier trend is on the way in the 6- to 10-day period. Showers in the Canadian prairies may favor filling spring wheat, but not likely going to change the prospects for the crop this late in the season. No additional rain in the next 10 days will assist the harvest efforts that are already underway. Yield prospects in much of Ukraine and Russia remain near to above normal due to above normal rainfall the last 30 days in most areas. Recent hot weather may increase the risk, though, to some filling crops in some locations. Ag weather brought to you by Coleman Repair this afternoon with Paul Perkins. And we just saw the uh, Goodland office chime in here with some scattered thunderstorms expected, but they're also talking about large hail. Damaging winds, even a few tornadoes possible across that area. And uh, moving on up into portions of southwest Nebraska and across northwest Kansas. So all that to be looked forward to for today. Yeah, and it looks like that instability is going to continue to increase there across Kansas. We're already up to 86 at Hill City, and it's very humid right now. And strong area of low pressure movement and probably going to lead some, definitely lead to some severe weather today. All right, stay with us. We have our Storm Center coverage at the ready all hours of the day and when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. an update of Ag News. I'm Joe Gangwish on the Rural Radio Network. Hendricks Genetics is celebrating their grand opening in Grand Island today. Shaley Peters is there. She has an update. The work done at the hatchery here in Grand Island since groundbreaking approximately too impressive to say the least. Survey Hermans, managing director of Layers Globally, says they're happy to be here. 
Well, we have picked this spot because it is quite central in the United States. It's close to Iowa, where a lot of chickens are based, but we can also drive to California if necessary. So this place is uh, for three reasons okay. First of all, the central position. Secondly, we have studied the map after avian influenza, and we have seen that there are not so many geese flying around here, so there was not a lot of contamination with avian influenza. And of course, the third is that the state of Nebraska likes us and wants to have us and gives us also some perks to get here. He says they're hoping to be at full capacity, 25 million laying hens a year from now. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Well, ahead of Wednesday's U.S.-Canada-Mexico discussions on adjustments to the North American Free Trade Agreement, a group of 55 agriculture deans from public universities across the country today sent a letter to U.S. Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross, U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, as well as Assistant U.S trade negotiator for the Western Hemisphere and Chief NAFTA negotiator John Mill, outlining the vital importance of NAFTA to the ag community and reiterating their support for free agricultural trade across U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Signing the letter was UNLIANR Vice Chancellor Mike Bame and John D. Floros, Dean of the College of Agriculture at Kansas State University, along with Wendy Winterstein. Dean of the College of Ag and Life Sciences at Iowa State University. The letter said because of the importance of agricultural exports to both the farm and U.S. economies, they, uh, the deans and administrators of the nation's public and land-grant colleges of agriculture, strongly support the continued robust export of U.S. ag products to Mexico and Canada that's facilitated by NAFTA. They also urge the trade negotiators to seek opportunities to expand such trade in their upcoming discussions with representatives from Canada and Mexico. Agriculture as an issue to watch throughout that negotiation process, noting that corn, beef, and pork producers are happy with the current after. The Wall Street uh, Journal reports that out of the disagreements over the agriculture, it can quickly turn bitter in those trade talks. And when President Trump threatened to withdraw from NAFTA, some Mexican politicians warned that their nation could import corn from other Latin American nations instead of the U.S. Meanwhile, labor, trade deficits, rules of origin, currency manipulation, and immigration also topped the list of issues to watch during that negotiation process this week. Well, a large new pork processing plant sent to open next month in Sioux City. That's expected to add more fuel to the Nebraska pork industry's recent growth spurt. The plant in Sioux City will give Nebraska farmers another buyer for their growing numbers of hogs, and it could drive them to build more hog barns on their farms in eastern Nebraska in hopes of adding more income to a already a hard-to-farm economy for row crops. Uh, the plant is run by Seaboard Triumph Foods. It's one of five opening around the Midwest, adding a total of about 10% more processing capacity. But there is a risk that the upheaval in free trade could dampen this expansion. Now, according to Dermot Hayes, ag economist at Iowa State University, he says the reason the industry is profitable right now, despite an increase in production, is that pork exports are surging. We have more ag news for you. Just go to ruralradio.com. I'm Joe Gangwish. On our program today, we talk with Jason Ladman, Director of Water Street Solutions, on hearing what your farm numbers are telling you. So, Jason, how can we do this when managing the farm's finances? Well, you know, everything that you do as a manager on the farm can have a positive or a negative implication, and those seem to be amplified when margins are tight, like they are right now. So, in those instances, every good management practice adds up. 
And this really spans across everything from your production practice to the timeliness and accuracy of the farm's books, all the way down to the way that you handle your farm's finances. And having the commitment and dedication to work towards making everything on the farm a little bit better, it goes a long way. You know, for some farm leaders, this is second nature, and and for others, it may require more concentration. But either way, these leaders don't become complacent or satisfied with where they're at. You know, they constantly look for ways to do things just a little bit better, a little bit smarter, or even a little bit more efficiently. And just by asking those questions and looking at your farm in that way, you know, you put yourself on the path toward becoming an excellent manager and creating a great farm operation. And even farmers who are already at the top of their game, they can do this too. This is really about knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses as a leader, and it's about making the choice to not take everything at face value and examine areas where you might be able to do just a little bit better. And trust me, this doesn't have to be as extreme as switching from corn to cranberries. You know, this could be as simple as learning a new skill to take your management game to the next level or even investing in a tool to help with decision making. Well, Jason, what are some examples of this? Well, one thing many farmers are finding helpful, particularly now, is knowing their true break-evens for the crops they're producing. You know, having updated, accurate information helps when it's time to make decisions for the farm. Otherwise, you're left with just guessing where you're at, which isn't always easy. And it's especially important to be including all the costs associated with producing your crop when you're figuring your break-even. And this means making sure that even those costs that may not immediately come to mind, one of those being your machinery uh, investment, are included in the break-even. Otherwise, what happens is you end up mistakenly believing that your break-even is lower than it actually is. And when you know where you're really at financially and you work to update those figures throughout the year, you're able to get a closer overall picture of your financial status at any point in time. Now, I know that these expenses typically don't change a great deal during the growing season, but if they do, you know, it's important to keep your information up to date. And doing such a task while you're busy doing other things may seem futile, but in the event that you need to make a financial decision very quickly on the farm, I'm going to tell you, you'll be glad that you took the time earlier to keep your numbers up to date. Jason, how can we gain some of that knowledge? One way is to work with an ag finance advisor to get your break-even numbers and a full financial analysis of your farm. Because with those exact numbers, you can really start to dig in and assess your farm's current condition. I consider it like a report card. So my question to the listeners is this. Do you know your farm's true break-even costs right now? And have you been updating and using those numbers to help you make any decisions during this current growing season as your crop continues to mature? Because we all know that the conditions impacting this can change quickly. So again, it's really important to stay on top of it. I mean, a couple other questions to ask. Do you know your farm's actual break-even costs to produce each crop that you grow? And have you included all relevant costs in those calculations and how do you decide on what cost to allocate to each crop and that's a big one that oftentimes gets jumbled up you know if you find that you have more questions around this or this is something you want to get better at give us a call here at water street we'd love to visit you can do that by calling water street solutions 866-249-2528 or go to waterstreet.org You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the UNK volleyball team is ranked third in the ABCA preseason Division II Top 25 Coaches Poll. 
Now, last year the Lopers went 35 and 2 and finished the year ranked fifth. This is a 135th consecutive poll that the Lopers have appeared in. Head coach Rick Squires is pretty excited about the upcoming season. You know, for the first time in you know a little bit of a stretch of time here, we've got kind of a veteran squad with uh, a number of upperclassmen. Uh, multiple seniors. We had a couple of years there where we had to kind of play young and or we had one senior and uh, so this year I think we've got really an outstanding group of collective leadership in addition to a lot more experience. UNK will begin its season in early September with a trip to Hawaii. Defending national champion Concordia University St. Paul is number one. Southwest Minnesota State is second. Wayne State is ranked 13th while Washburn is 16th. Preseason predictions on the upcoming season are all over the place going into this year for the Husker football team. One national poll has the Huskers picked to win just six games this season. Junior Ibeck, Divina Zigmo says Nebraska is using that for motivation in fall camp. We've all seen those stats, and I honestly don't know where they come from. I thought we were going to win like less than six. I don't know about that, but it's like we all know what we can do, and we all know what we've done, so we just got to you know, just continue just continue to push. You know, we don't really want to talk about it. just got to go there and prove it. The Huskers worked out again this morning as fall camp continued. Kansas plans to honor former football coach Mark Mangino, who was forced out amid allegations that he abused his players and the rest of the 2017 that won the Orange Bowl during its season opener. The school said today that the team will be inducted into its Hall of Fame, along with former players Akeem Tlaib and Anthony Collins. This big ceremony happens during the season opener on September 2nd against Southeast Missouri State. Mangino led the long-suffering Jayhawks to a 12-1 record in 2007, a season that was capped by a victory over Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl. But things soon soured, and Mangino was forced out in 2009 when allegations surfaced that he physically and verbally abused his players. And in baseball, Giancarlo Stanton homered for the fifth straight game for the Marlins. He now leads the majors with 43-round trippers. He's already set the Miami record for homers in a season, topping Gary Sheffield's 42 in 1996. Stanton has hit 22 home runs in his last 34 games. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Storms are likely through the night tonight. Some of those storms could produce damaging winds, large hail, and heavy rainfall. I'm Dave Schroeder. Before, during, and after next week's solar eclipse, scientists will focus on the sun and examine what happens to Earth's weather and to animals and plants. Speaking of the weather, National Weather Service meteorologist Mike Moritz is optimistic about the chance for sunshine next Monday during the solar eclipse, but he says it will become more evident closer to the event. The eclipse covers from the Pacific Northwest to the Southeast United States. It looks like the far Pacific Northwest might be somewhat unsettled and, and viewing might be poor there, as well as the far Southeast near the Atlantic coast. It seems like right now that the middle part of the country, here in Nebraska, Wyoming, Missouri, that sort of region, is looking favorable. But again, still a few days away, so, so time will tell here. The latest forecast from the National Weather Service indicates the potential for cloud cover in central Nebraska and northern Kansas will be limited to moderate. The rain potential is limited, the thunderstorm lightning threat is limited, and the potential for winds over 20 miles per hour is limited. 
A 42-year-old Iowa woman who was convicted of killing her romantic rival has been sent to a Nebraska prison for life. Shanna Gollier in Omaha had been found guilty of arson and first-degree murder after a non-jury trial. Prosecutors say she killed 37-year-old Carrie Farver, who was last seen in Omaha in November 2012. Her body hasn't been found. Police say Gollier posed as Farver online and by phone for years after Farver's disappearance and also posed as other people confessing to have killed Farver. An officer testified that Farver had been dating Gollier's ex-boyfriend for some weeks when she disappeared. Gollier's lawyer argued that prosecutors presented no evidence that a homicide occurred, no body, no murder weapon, and no crime scene. U.S. Senator Pat Roberts is defending the Senate filibuster rule amid some unusual backlash from his Republican House colleagues and constituents at a conference of independent oil and gas producers. But Roberts concedes Republicans may have to do away with it in order to pass their agenda. The sometimes testy exchanges came at a convention of the Kansas Independent Oil and Gas Association. Representative Lynn Jenkins won scattered applause when she called for getting rid of the filibuster, saying Congress is crippled right now. Roberts says Republicans' control of the Senate can easily flip, noting he has been in the minority more often than he has been in the majority. We want your news, video, and photos. Tip us under the News tab at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. From Grand Island today, the grand opening and ribbon cutting of Hendrix Genetics. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And I visit here now with Survey Herman. He is the managing director for Layers for the entire company. Survey, just start off by talking about what this day is all about, Hendrix Genetics being here, not just in Nebraska, but in Grand Island. So what we have done is we have built together with Henning Corporation a hatchery and this uh, hatchery is able to produce 25 million laying hens and 25 million laying hens are good for about 25 eggs per person in the total of the United States. What does this mean for an area like Grand Island and for a state like Nebraska? Well, I think that this activity is uh, something that is giving value to uh, the agricultural business a little bit more than just producing corn and soya beans. There will be jobs, about 50 people will work in this hatchery, and there will be about 10 farms for the procurement of hatching eggs. Talk about today's grand open specifically. You had a wonderful turnout, and I think the community and uh, the state, again, is pretty excited to have you here. Yes, and for us that is nice. We are coming from Europe, and in particular I'm coming from the Netherlands. So if we build something like this, there is always a group of people demonstrating because we are from the bio industry. And here in Nebraska, people still love us. And I think that we make a fantastic contribution to food production all around the world. But in some places it is less appreciated, and in some places it is appreciated. And Nebraska is one of those. Go into more of what kind of company are we bringing here into the state? If I talk about Hendrix Genetics in general a little bit, then I can tell you that we are a genetics company, so we select the best animals to make a new generation, and we do that all the time. 
So in 40 years, we have managed to increase the number of eggs per hen from about 250 to 400. And our aim is to have a hen that lays about one egg per day for about two years. So that means that the life of the hen is getting longer and she is pretty at ease with producing one egg per day. So she can eat enough, she can rest, she can uh, do her normal behavior. So that is the breeding goal and the purpose of our company. We are quite good at it, so we are selling about uh, 1.5 billion of these Dale chicks together with our distributors. So 25 million in this hatchery and 1.5 billion in total. So the magnitude is enormous. And we are able, with our customers and the customers of our customers, to give about 80 eggs per capita in the whole world. Talk about the reach. Where, how far out will this hatchery here in Grand Island reach? What does that look like? Well, we have picked this spot because it is quite central in the United States. It's close to Iowa, where a lot of chickens are based. But we can also drive to California if necessary. So this place is uh, for three reasons okay. First of all, the central position. Secondly, we have studied the map after avian influenza, and we have seen that there are not so many geese flying around here. So there was not a lot of contamination with avian influenza. And of course, third is that the state of Nebraska likes us and wants to have us and gives us also some perks to get here. Moving on from today, what does that look like? When will you be up in full operation with this hatchery here? Well, the total capacity is about 25 million. We expect to reach the 25 million in one year from now. So that means that we will start a little bit slower because the farms are not uh, full in production yet. We also need to have some extra customers, so we hope to sell a little bit more. But in general, I think in 2018, we will produce about between 15 and 20 million, and 2019, the hatchery will be full. I know you mentioned those local growers, and uh, I've seen just barns going up left and right basically since the groundbreaking here uh, a couple years ago. Talk about the the work you've done here with the local growers? Well, if you want to produce day-old chicks, you need hatching eggs. The purpose of this uh, equipment here is that eggs come in and chicks go out. The eggs need to be produced, and these farmers that produce hatching eggs are special farmers. They need to take care of the females, but also of the males. And there need to be matings in the barn so that we have fertile eggs. Well, they have to look carefully at the weight of the birds, the uniformity of the birds. They have to see if everything is healthy so that uh, the males are doing their job, so that the eggs are fertile. And, of course, the egg needs to be produced in the nest uh, because otherwise the egg is dirty. Dirty eggs in the hatchery we don't like. So there is quite some pressure on these farmers to produce first quality hatching eggs so that we have from 100 eggs about 80 chicks. Any additional comments while we've got you here for this grand opening? Well, I myself, I was born on a cow farm and uh, I see a lot of uh, beef producers here and corn and soya bean producers and I feel related to them. I even have a Stetson hat and a cowboy saddle at home and uh, I really like the life out here, much better than in New York or in Amsterdam. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. Very glad to have you here. Survey Hermans, he's the Managing Director of Layers for Hendrix Genetics as they get up and running here at the grand opening today in Grand Island. I'm Shaylee Peters for the Rural Radio Network. on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a review of the livestock futures trade from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, pretty good day uh, in livestock futures. Uh, all pluses. Um, and some big pluses when you look at the uh, cattle complex. And we right back to some uh, pretty good volatility again. Uh, it, we started out... Uh, mixed to a little lower and then uh, took our nosedive came back, took another nosedive quite honestly it looked like we just ran out of sellers if you look back through uh, the last couple weeks or even over the last month, the funds who were big longs seemed to be uh, the the majority of the sellers and I think we just we finally got them liquidated and uh, we just ran out of selling and up Boom, up we came. Uh, also, uh, uh, we've, we've just seen the open interest drop dramatically over this whole time, time frame. So I uh, can't really point to any uh, cash sales that, uh, that would have prompted this, but uh, all of a sudden uh, we just exploded and uh, sold off just a little bit at the end, but uh, pretty good short covering and pretty good buying showing up. So a uh, very positive day as we held uh, some lows here uh, established earlier. So uh, hogs still climbing, but uh, cash seems to be uh, still a little bit on the weak side. Uh, but uh, we did see some uh, closing of the gap between the uh, now nearby month October and the index. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal. The U.S. Grains Council has an office in Mexico City. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And good afternoon. Heidi Bringenberg is U.S. Grains Council's Assistant Director for Mexico, based out of Mexico City. She joined us for a day during part of our tour of Mexico to learn more about the importance of NAFTA. Her and I sat down, though, to talk about the importance of a Grains Council office in Mexico. Sure. So um, I've been working there for only uh, the, about 10 months now. And the importance of having an office and working in that office uh, of Mexico is, is huge. Um, we have direct contact with all of the customers, uh, the major uh, feed, feed grain associations, um, direct contacts, and when uh, situations um, arise that we bring our producers down to take a look and, and meet their customers, those are those direct direct connections to uh, make the meetings happen and um, uh, make the connections. And obviously something like this where we as media are out here getting to meet the buyers, meet the folks that really move a lot of grain out of the U.S. into Mexico and back yeah, sure. is very important. Sure. So um, in the with, with the NAFTA renegotiations upon us, um, our contacts were more than excited to receive media. They've been more than excited to receive producers because the message is pretty clear. We need each other on both sides of the border. Um, 
with NAFTA, and so um, you know the Grains Council reached out to AMEPA, the feed organization that helped me set up this visit here at Gramosa, and um, you know told us that they would be more than happy to share their story, and they're more than happy to um, you know meet with the media and work with you guys. We have yet to meet anybody that has said NAFTA is bad. Let's get rid of it. They're all talking about how integral it is into their everyday part of their business. Yeah, I mean, um, most of these organizations couldn't uh, be competitive or function without without NAFTA. That's what I've I've been hearing. Um, they've uh, all of the organizations that we've worked with have also um, thanked the U.S. Grains Council for bringing them the opportunities to speak about the importance. They they want to make sure that both their media and our media knows, their government and our government knows. Um, and the Grains Council has really been able to kind of step up and, and make these opportunities to speak out happen. What do you like about, about the job being here and, and working out of Mexico City and, and the interaction that you have? Yeah, so previously I was doing uh, program work with our global programs department in D.C. and working with all of the overseas offices on sort of a, a bird's eye level on what we do. And so actually coming to one of the offices and working firsthand with the customers has been the best the best part for me. Um, you know, hearing uh, all of the work over the past 30 years that the Greatest Council in Mexico has done, I'm, you know, just starting on my journey with that, but it's been... Um, Amazing. And with the first set of rounds of negotiations of the North American Free Trade Agreement set to take place tomorrow in D.C., the trip was extremely important to get a first-hand look at really the effects of what NAFTA means to producers on both sides of the border. Not only that, the Wall Street Journal actually just had an article that talked about corn, beef, and pork producers are happy with the current NAFTA. But in the journal report, it pointed out that the disagreements over agriculture can quickly turn bitter in these trade talks. As President Trump has threatened to withdraw from NAFTA, some Mexican politicians have warned that their nation could import corn from other Latin American nations instead of the U.S. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Tough day in the grains today as we closed on the lows or near them. And with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. He's also publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. John, is this about the weather and the impending weather? You know, that's a simple way to look at it. I certainly think the forecasts going forward are, are causing a lot of these funds to take out a lot of the weather premium that had been put in uh, over the last, uh, let's we call it, three months, four months, that, that really, you know, mid-July, uh, really saw the push kind of start and then uh, peter out there, oh, I don't know, a month ago, kind of cascading now, and I think a lot of uh, the, the price action these days is, has a lot more to do with old crop. So this is this is the time period. I kind of mentioned this early in the summer. You really don't want to be holding on to corn into the back half of August. There's just going to be kind of a garage sale type of price action here where uh, you're seeing a lot of reasons to sell, not not do with profit, profitability, storage room, uh, needing to clear out the bins, of course, uh, end of the marketing year. A lot of this stuff is, is similar to a year ago. So feels to me like we've got uh, maybe another nickel to go. Lows on September futures and corn right around 348 uh, from a year ago. And for December corn, right around the 360, 358 level, we'll call it. So at that point, you know, I think we'll, we'll bounce. But uh, I think we'll head down there rather quickly in the short run. Well, usually August means that uh, maybe reaching the lows, doesn't it? 
Yeah, now bees are another story. Bees don't have quite the long position in there, and I think you're, you're seeing some, some farmers selling here and kind of the, the chase that happens at this time of the year is folks want to lock in a decent price. Um, we are going to get, you know, you own up 20 cents here. You're really starting to talk about crop insurance levels and different things coming into play uh, as far as payouts go. So there's really not an incentive for the farmer to really heavily price uh, at this price, in my opinion. So if you are hedged, I'd, I'd be looking to get it. wiggle your way out of hedges here in the low nines. I don't think um, there's a lot of room in the in the eights uh, as far as the board goes. And we're at 922, 923 here into the close. So shorter term here, it's going to be weak, I think, through the rest of the month. But uh, as we get past that uh, you know, first notice day, I think uh, the end users are, are going to have to start to pay up. They're going to look at some of these levels uh, July of next year, uh, maybe even December of next year in, in the high threes uh, as some bargains. So you're saying, too, we could be pretty competitive on the world market now, given these prices? Well, no, unfortunately <laughs> not. Uh, Brazil's in the, in the one, they have a one handle in front of their price. A lot of, a lot of that has to do with currency conversions and where the grain is down there. But uh, I, I think competitively we're there. The funds are probably looking to tack on some short positions here. And, and now is the place where you want to get long, I think, in the next 10 cents rather than, uh, you know, at these levels. Go to danielzagmarketing.com, get more information. Thanks to John Payne for the comments. I'm Dewey Nelson.